So Rachel, did you hear there's a new dating app on the market? Ooh la la, just in time for Valentine's Day. Yeah, it's called Digidate. You can date with your genetics. Ooh, sophisticated dating. (laughs) (laughs) George Church, who is pretty well known for trying to resurrect the woolly mammoth, he recently suggested the idea of a dating app. And this dating app screens matches for you based on your genetics to avoid pairing up with someone with a genetic disease and increasing your likelihood of offspring having the disease. So this is a pretty crazy radical 1984, I don't know, futuristic genetics kind of thing to say. But George Church said it and he is working to get this dating app going. You may or may not have heard of George Church. He's um, pretty famous in the scientific community, and he was recently featured on a 60 Minutes episode where he talked a little bit about his lab, himself, and the current work that he is doing, including the dating app that Emma mentioned. He's pretty well known as a scientist who pushes the bar scientifically, and what I mean by when I say scientifically, anything that's new and interesting, especially involving CRISPR or gene editing, He's very interested in getting his hands on it and starting work. His work on trying to bring back woolly mammoths from extinction is pretty well known, but in his lab currently, they have lots of experiments going on. Uh, One they have going on is adding genes to mice to actually reverse aging. They grow mini brains in dishes. If you want to learn more about that, you can see our Brain Organoids podcast. And they grow these mini brains using George Church's own cells. It might sound weird for a scientist to be doing experiments with their own cells, but this is actually kind of common. I mean, I uh, have a little bit of experience with this in working with Adriana at the Stem Cell Corps and collaborating with her. And it's just very complicated to uh, when you generate those stem cells, um, since you're dealing with human uh, patients, you will, there's always a concern about their privacy. Um, so there's a lot of red tape involved if you want to be getting primary samples from humans and sometimes it's just easier for you to do that with your own cells um, because the whole process of getting that approved goes faster. Yeah I mean I guess he knows everything going into it because he's doing these experiments with people in his lab but it is it is pretty interesting to think about you growing your own cells in the lab but besides the experiments he is going on he's also started quite a few successful startups. One of these companies, Digidate, has really been making news circles lately, and this is the company that is coming out with that dating app that Emma talked about, but it's not been getting a very positive reception. Church's app relies on DNA sequencing. Let's just remind ourselves what DNA sequencing is again. You're probably a little bit familiar with this from us talking about companies like 23andMe. Basically, what happens is that you spit into a tube, And then you send this tube to the company and scientists can extract your DNA from this and they can sequence parts of your DNA to see how likely it is um, that you have certain diseases. They can tell things about your ancestry. They can even say how likely it is that you have red hair. But the very important thing to remember about DNA sequencing is that um, unfortunately our DNA isn't exactly like a recipe book and we can't just read it and know everything, we need to know specifically where to look for things. For example, in Alzheimer's disease, 
we do know um, certain risk factors, so you have to go in in a targeted way and look at those specific parts. Yeah, that's right. From a lot of different studies, scientists have been able to find certain genes that when they're mutated, they can contribute to you getting a disease or they can sometimes completely cause the disease and the disease is not dependent on any environmental factors. This is pretty powerful technology, but unfortunately it does have some limitations because I said that we have to know kind of what we're looking for. In some cases, we don't really know everything that causes a disease. Alzheimer's disease is a good example of that. We know some things that are very strong contributors, but there are other cases where we don't know what mutations the person has, but they are having Alzheimer's disease. So we can only look for what we know can lead to that disease. And if we don't know all the causes, we might not be able to tell. Also, it can get complicated when diseases have more than one contributing factor. Just because you don't have a certain mutation that we know causes Alzheimer's disease, for example, it doesn't mean that you couldn't have other mutations necessarily that could cause a disorder that we just don't know about yet. So when, if any of you guys have done 23andMe, when 23andMe looks at your likelihood of developing breast cancer or Alzheimer's, as Rachel has mentioned, they only look at a few of these contributing factors. And this is mainly because we don't know all of them yet. I mean, in the case of breast cancer, we know, I think it's three of the very strong contributing factors, but there's a lot of factors in different genes that maybe have a small effect on breast cancer risk, but they don't often test, they won't test for those in 23andMe because they're trying to look for things that they're very sure contribute to your risk of getting breast cancer. Right. So they can look at all this information from your DNA and kind of calculate what percentage of likelihood you are to get the disease. Um, but it's not a definite, right? Because there are other factors that could contribute in some cases, such as your environment, your diet, etc. Um, and it is important to point out, you know, we're giving examples where there are multiple factors, like in the cases of breast cancer uh, and Alzheimer's disease, but there are dis disorders that um, we know there's, there's one very strong um, gene mutation that causes it, such as Huntington's disease is a good example. Um, that's caused by one particular mutation. But more often than not, it's really a combination of factors. So that's why it's kind of this percentage that they give you and it's not black and white. So on a more personal note, something I've mentioned several times, when I did 23andMe, they said that by looking at my genes, I was only 6% likely to have red hair. That's basically a 6% risk factor of having red hair. And if any of you have met me or know me, I am about as red of a redhead as you can get. So there must be a lot more at play that they didn't test, like the contributions of other genes or the environment, or they could have even had a false negative in the case of testing me for red hair. Can confirm, Emma is 100% redhead. But I guess what we're trying to get across to you um, about these technologies is that the main limiting factor is that we actually just don't know enough about um, the genome and what causes these diseases to know where to look. So getting back to the app, once people have had their DNA sequence, they can be compared to each other in this app. And this app will calculate the likelihood of them having children with a rare disease if they, say, pair with a certain person. The app will then only show matches to people who you don't have a genetic problem with if you chose to have children with them. So say if I matched with someone on the app and I have maybe one of the uh, risk alleles for cystic fibrosis, 
if there's another person on the app that also has a risk allele for cystic fibrosis, then we will never match up because there would be a 25% chance of our child having cystic fibrosis. In this app, they only look at recessive diseases, so diseases that you have to have two copies of basically the disease gene or the disease allele in order to get the disease. I guess that makes sense because if you have that dominant mutation, for one, you definitely will have the disorder and there's a much higher likelihood that you'll pass it on if you were to have children with this person. Yeah, it'd be pretty discriminatory for sure. So when you say rare diseases, I mean, you mentioned cystic fibrosis, for example, but how did they decide what is classified as a rare disease? And this is a really interesting question because George Church said they would test about 7,000 diseases and he categorized these 7,000 diseases as rare, but he didn't really go into detail of what all those diseases would be. He mentioned diseases like Tay-Sachs and cystic fibrosis, and those are well-known, like really, really bad diseases. If you have them, then your life is a lot harder and there's a lot of a medical burden, but He did a clarification on this app when kind of everyone on social media flipped out about it. And he says he'll focus on the gene variants that are likely to lead to severe disease. But at the crux of this, he didn't say how he would define severe disease. Right. I mean, there are some cases, I mean, just off the top of my head, I can think of deafness is sometimes caused by recessive mutations. And I don't know that most people would classify that as severe disease necessarily. I mean, deaf people live, can live completely normal lives. Um, they even have a sense of community. Some, some people that are, are deaf, like consider that as part of their identity. So I don't know that they would necessarily classify that as severe disease. It might very well depend on the person. Right. And then, yeah, you get into that question of if you define a disease as severe, are you then marginalizing this community of people that have this severe disease? Are you saying that they're less than and that you shouldn't want people like them in the population? There's a lot of these kind of, not even just ethical, but sociology questions that you ask about people's worth, even if they suffer from a disease. So you mentioned population, Emma, and one of the things that George Church is saying is so powerful about this app is that it could actually help control the rates of disease within the population and reduce the health burden. Yeah, this definitely could be the case and could actually help lessen the potential for some of these diseases in populations. If you've heard some about the Jewish community, Dor Yashorim, or the Committee for the Prevention of Jewish Genetic Disease, offers genetic screening to Jews. And when a couple wants to get married, they contact the company and see what the likelihood would be of them having a child with a disease that's higher in the Jewish populations. In some cases, there is a potential and the couple decide to break up. Um, Some couples even do this before the third date so that they avoid any heartbreak. But this is one of Church's big reasons for going ahead with this app because he's seen the success of bringing down the disease risk in the Jewish population, specifically with Tay-Sachs disease, but there's other ones as well. Wow. I mean, that seems like kind of a radical approach to lessen the burden of diseases on the population at first. But I guess, in, like specifically in the Jewish community, maybe it makes sense because the prevalence of uh, these mutations that cause Tay-Sachs is so common. Uh, so you would have to go to those lengths. This opens up a pretty big ethical question here of, is this eugenics? And for those of our listeners that aren't familiar with the term eugenics, this simply means the science of 
um, improving the human population by controlled breeding to increase the occurrence of desirable heritable characteristics. So, for example, this could be increasing the occurrence of certain skin colors or hair colors. It, eugenics could also mean decreasing the occurrence of certain negative heritable characteristics. I mean, you could argue that not getting a disease is increasing the occurrence of desirable heritable characteristics. But in some interviews with Church after this announcement, he argues that his app is not promoting eugenics and is more focusing on reducing disease burden and helping people, I think, get away from the fear that they'll have a child with a disease or eliminating that fear entirely. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a gray area, right? I mean, when most people think of eugenics, they think of the worst possible case, uh, probably the experiments that the Nazis were doing during World War II. Um, but, I mean, that was happening also here in the United States, right in North Carolina. We sterilized thousands of individuals, most of them black, by the way, um, because they had mental disabilities that people thought shouldn't be passed on to the next generation. So this happened, you know, without their consent or anything. Yeah, definitely. And even some of the founders and fathers of genetics were promoted eugenics and they thought that genetics was a way to reach the one, not necessarily the one true race, but to increase characteristics. And I think back in the 50s, they had certain competitions of like strongman family competitions to see what which was the strongest family. And so to promote uh, families being strong and marrying other strong families and like carrying these legacies down through families of good genes, uh, attractive personalities, looks good, smart people. Most people would consider something like Tay-Sachs pretty severe. I mean, those babies, um, are, are they even, they don't survive long. Are they even born alive? I think they are and then die after birth. Yeah, so these, in the case of Chase Hacks, it's very severe. I mean, I, and I don't want to speak for anyone here because I know people have different ideas about, you know, what, what life is valid um, and what should be prevented or not. But, you know, I think it's just so sad that most people would say if there were a way to prevent this or stop this, let's do it. Um, but like Emma said, I mean, different people like have different opinions and hold different values and everyone has a different place where they are going to draw the line which is why I think it's so important that uh, in this case George Church is a little more clear with what he's um, calling a severe disease and and where he's drawing the line there right and it does it is definitely a a very personal decision and everyone approaches it differently which I think is why it's interesting that Church is proposing this idea of an app but it also ruffles a lot of people's feathers because it's such a personal decision as to do you want to know if you have a risk for your ch future children or do you just kind of want to go forward and deal with that risk as it comes and not worry about it. So there's a lot of people's individual beliefs and how they approach life that goes into making these sort of decisions. And I think boiling it down to an app kind of glosses over these discussions you have to have. Now, I think the key term here is risk, right? So with these recessive diseases, having being a carrier for them means that you have an increased risk of having a child uh, with that disease, but it doesn't ne necessarily mean that you definitely will. Um, 
And I do think it's important to point out that there, there are other methods to screen for these mutations in the embryo and make, you know, in vitro fertilization, for example, and um, making sure that the embryos that are implanted are uh, not having those mutations. Of course, those methods are not going to be accessible to everyone, and they are very expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or there's even, like, we, we've known people that they find out they can't have kids. Either they'll go the in vitro fertilization route and maybe do some of that genetic diagnosis beforehand, or they'll choose to adopt and just say, like, hey, we don't even want to have to worry about this or worry about a risk to the mother or a risk to the baby. And so there's a lot of different ways to approach this. It just creeps me out to have an app, you know, controlling who you're dating. Well, yeah, and I mean, you brought up a great point earlier when we were talking about this episode before recording it. If you start doing this for, say, severe diseases and you give this app all your genetic information, what's to say they don't have a premium subscription where you can see your likelihood of marrying someone with red hair and having redheaded babies, which I think is pretty awesome, Um, but... Or even, like, intelligence. I mean, they've found a few genes that maybe affect intelligence by, like, 1% that they've linked. But who's to say that this couldn't happen in an app? I mean, we've all seen apps just take off and give you these crazy premium subscriptions with all these perks. And I could definitely see that happening for some sort of genetic thing like this. Yeah, and you just brought up a good point, Emma, that you are giving them your DNA and your genetic information. And... To be fair, I haven't looked into um, what George Church is saying about this in his privacy policy, but that will be important to know for the consumer, you know, what are they doing with my DNA? Are they storing it? Are they using it for research purposes, etc.? Yeah, and I mean, to give the church lab a bit of credibility, they do have a full-time ethicist hired in the lab, which is fantastic. And even on their lab website, they have a list of all their publications on ethics, So if any of you guys have heard of the LC laws, it's like the ethical, legal, and social implications um, from genetic studies. So what LC does, it basically protects people and their genetic rights is having DNA and being able to keep that to themselves. So hopefully when this, when or if this app comes out, it's currently in development, hopefully they'll have really clear indications of this is what you're giving us, this is what we're going to use, we're not going to maybe assign, I don't know, assign random numbers or something so we can't trace the information back. But they do seem like they're really trying to think about the ethics in this app, even though there are times where we wonder if they are. Yeah, I mean, it's great that they're uh, taking a step towards trying to self-regulate by hiring this ethicist. But I do wonder if there's a limit to how effective self-regulation is. And I wonder... um, you know, how any outside regulation from the government uh, and laws may uh, progress in the coming years. Oh, yeah. I mean, any laws for this are probably like 20 years in the future. 